Hear that? It's the call of the Crave. And when the Crave calls, you know what to do. Try the $5 Bacon Bundle, because the only thing better than a White Castle slider is a White Castle slider topped with crispy hickory smoked bacon. So pick any two of either the Bacon Cheese Slider, 1921 Bacon Cheese Slider, or Chicken Bacon Ranch Slider, and also get a small fry for just $5 with the $5 Bacon Bundle. White Castle. Follow your Crave. Okay, let's do some quick math. The less your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, on delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. That's obvious. But with higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. To reduce costs and headaches, smart businesses are graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. Here's the thing. Information is power. Information is money. Literally, the currency of today's world of of entrepreneurship is information. And if you could bring all of the the information about your business into one dashboard, this is incredibly valuable. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR into one platform and one source of the truth about your business. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required, access from anywhere. You cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. And you're improving efficiency by bringing all of your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. This is so valuable. You just hit a button and you can see all the information about your business instead of having to like call five different departments and get all these emails and put it all together and make sense of it. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. So do the math, see how you'll profit with NetSuite. Backed by popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to netsuite.com slash james, netsuite.com slash james netsuite.com slash james this isn't your average business podcast and he's not your average host this is the james altucher show today on the james altucher show what is QAnon? Everybody keeps saying QAnon this, QAnon that, QAnon's this cult, QAnon's fascist, QAnon's a concept. What is this thing? So Mike Rothschild, who is my guest today, he has been researching this for the past two years, and he's going to finally explain this mysterious concept. Is it a conspiracy theory? Is it a cult? Is it real? Let's hear from Mike. We might have been his last interview. That might have been true because he got arrested the very next day after oh, the wow. interview with us. Yeah, he was bragging about how he was on the run and they're never going to catch him. And then they caught him the next day. Yeah. And it's, uh, it's, yeah, it's also crazy. But I think I think they did do another interview, but it's a written one. It wasn't like on the internet. It wasn't like a like an audio. Yeah, like they called him in jail or something. No, yeah, they 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 just do like a regular handwritten interview but uh yeah mike mike mentioned to me like his last instagram post is just a big what a big picture of q yeah big q 
John McAfee's last post? John McAfee's last uh, Instagram post was just a giant Q. Put wow. up. So after, I think it was it went up after he died, probably just after he died. So it must have been somebody on his team. But it's clearly, I mean, they knew what buttons to push to to drive the conversation right up until the end. You know, trolling right up until the end. So, yeah, it's funny because, you know, with my last conversation with John McAfee, he basically said it was the end of America. America was going to be a third world banana republic yeah. by uh, September 2020. You know, I, he was on last summer and, uh, you know, he was wrong. But, you know, the sad thing about John McAfee is, you know, his dad committed suicide when he was 15 years old. Yeah. And, you know, obviously he was a genius and he was paranoid, which is why he created at the time the premier cybersecurity company. He went public. He made like half a billion on it. Somehow he lost all his money. He went on the run in Belize, did this whole crypto thing, and then was on the run again and blah, blah, blah. But I didn't know he was related to QAnon and all, but it makes sense that someone, I mean, he was let down by the most important person in his life at a very pivotal time in his life during puberty. His father killed himself. Yeah. And you just, there's a lot of potential to go off the rails when that when that happens. It really... It's a sad story, ultimately. Yeah, it is. It, it is a sad story. And you can tell by his social media posting, and I, I never talked to him. You, you did, and, and you could probably, you know, expand on this. But you could tell something wasn't right there. You know, there, there was something in his mind that just wasn't working the way it was supposed to. And you, you could see it in his social. My guess is, I mean, I, who knows? I can't diagnose these things at all. No. My personal experience with people who are bipolar, maybe he could have been bipolar so that he had moments of extreme energy and craziness and then moments of deep depression. We, you never really see the moments of deep depression because usually when people are going through that, they completely disappear from society. Right. But then later on, they're like, the yeah. US is going to go away and Donald Trump's an alien and you know all this stuff. But- Let's get to Mike Rothschild. The storm is upon us. How how QAnon became a movement, cult, and conspiracy theory of everything. And some one of my favorite people, Erin uh, Burnett, or at least I used to go on her show quite a bit when she was on CNBC. She, she writes, I hope everyone reads this book. It has become such a crucial thing for all of us to understand. What is it? What are we trying to understand? I'm gonna, Mike, I'm going to act completely naive just for the benefit of everybody because I think some people really deeply know what QAnon is. Other people have no clue, but it's arguably they're either one of the biggest conspiracy theories out there and maybe they're real, maybe they're not, maybe they're partially real, maybe they became real. Hmm. What is it? How did it all start? And I, I know, but I'm just going to ask you naive questions just to get the story out. Sure. And uh, thanks for having me on your show. I'm really excited to be here. Thanks for coming on. Are, are you a Rothschild like the Rothschilds? We'll get that out of the way. No, I am I'm not related to the family. And if I were, I would have no social media presence. I would not work. I would just sit around, count my works of art, uh, drink my amazing wine, and uh, and just live my life. So, no. Also, even though you're not a Rothschild, I'm sure you've done some research and everyone's asked you about this before. But here's my basic question about them, and then we'll get to QAnon. I know, sure. Rothschilds, you have nothing to do with, and but chances are you've done some research on it. You know, if you're a, a well, the wealthiest family in the world in the 1820s, and you just compound at 
seven or eight percent a year and probably you know a rich banking family was probably compounding it more than that i mean they had very good investing techniques back in the 1800s for for them wouldn't it be worth like a tri trillions of dollars right now well the one of the uh running conspiracy theories about the rothschilds is that they're worth 500 trillion dollars that's a, a number that gets thrown around on uh far-right message boards and stuff, uh, which I believe is more money than exists. But uh, yes, the, the most that exists in the world is about 50 trillion, but that doesn't mean they couldn't have, I mean, I'm not, I'm not going along with this conspiracy <laughs> theory. I think they're worth much, much less than anybody yeah. thinks, but um, uh, it is possible to have assets worth 500 trillion, but not m m sheer money. Right. And from what I understand, their place in sort of the richest families is, is now much lower. I mean, the Waltons are worth much more. You know, the Cokes are worth much more. Um, right. The, the Pritzkers, based out of Chicago, are worth much more. They've, they've diversified their holdings a lot. They've sold off a lot of their real estate. Uh, there was a conspiracy theory going around that actually got sucked into QAnon that the Rothschilds had a uh, hunting lodge in the Black Forest where they hunted people for sport. Uh, they did have a, a lodge in not the Black Forest in Austria uh, that they sold off pretty recently. Uh, they, they just didn't want to own it anymore. And of course, the, this family's really fragmented now. I mean, there, there's heirs and descendants all over the place. So, you know, you if you put maybe all of the money of all of the descendants together, it would be a fairly large amount. But individually, I, I don't even think, I think maybe only one is on the Forbes uh, richest list. Oh, really? And probably run some bank or something? yeah. Yeah, I think it's um yeah, I can't remember who it is, but it's somebody who has, you know, maybe like a billion and a half. I mean, you know, not chump change, but it's not uh, you know, it's not trillionaire status. Okay, I'm going to put it through a, a compound interest calculator. Uh, <laughs> so uh it's hard to figure out because they they, they don't believe me that I want to compound for 200 years. Uh so What's 13 billion? So I had to do it in two stages. So what's 13 billion times 169,000? I'll, I'll find out. I know this is not relevant to anything. No, it's but okay. I'm just, I'm just curious. Uh, so, oh, and then now Google calculators. It's two point, it's two followed by 15 zeros. So that's like almost, I don't know. What is that? It's like $200 trillion. A lot. Yeah. So, um, so that's what, if, if they had just started 1820 with a million dollars, $1 million mm -hmm. and compounded at 10%, which is not unrealistic for, um, a wealthy family, mm -hmm. they would be worth 200 trillion though. Generations tend to disperse and diffuse that. Yeah. And they weren't around in the era of, I mean, they weren't big in the era of all these tech billionaires going public right. and benefiting from that huge increase, you know, but I don't know. They I don't also know. had it's a lot of assets say. seized by the Nazis. Ah, uh, uh, yeah, but, and but a lot they had, of which they never got back. But it's exactly this reason that countries were seizing money held by Jewish people mm -hmm. that the Rothschilds became so successful is because they understood that you may need to transfer intangible assets uh, and currencies from one country to another country very fast. And right. so that's really the start of how they got into banking. So presumably, although they did have asset seized, probably wasn't the bulk of their wealth. Yeah, I don't think so. Okay, QAnon. Yes. Big conspiracy theory, possibly a conspiracy group. Possibly they're going to take over the world. Started off with Donald Trump in 2017 saying, you know, we're seeing the calm before the storm. 
What does it mean? What's going on? So QAnon, as we have understood it from October 2017 until Joe Biden's inauguration, was a conspiracy theory based around a military intelligence team supposedly using the image board 8chan to leak cryptic clues to an upcoming purge of the deep state that would be announced on Twitter by the president, at, at which point hundreds of thousands of indictments would be unsealed and the leaders of the Democratic Party, Hollywood, big business, the banking elite would all be arrested in a great purge called the storm. And then there would be peace and prosperity and the 6,000-year-old Babylonian cult that has controlled the world would finally be destroyed and it would be and it would be a great utopia. And that didn't happen. All right. I, and, and here's the thing. I get it because this is a combination of various religious beliefs and, and also a combination of history because many countries have had political purges where mm-hmm. someone who was viewed as a dictator actually became a dictator. Uh, you know, now with, you know, and, and I think, I think whether it was rational or irrational, a lot of people did believe that, that Donald Trump secretly wanted to be a dictator. Clearly now, whatever you think of Donald Trump, pro or or negative he he wasn't a dictator and he didn't do a purge and despite you know saying the election was a fraud he did leave office on the day scheduled mm-hmm. and and so on and by the way in almost every presidential election just to mention the election has been contested so in 1960 when you know John F Kennedy was presumably buying votes in Chicago which which turned the election Richard Nixon cont- contested the election all the way until the last minute. And then because he was vice president, he had to be the one to actually read the electoral college vote that Kennedy was elected. There was, might've been contestment in 1968. There's been contestants all, all sure. along. You know, 1876, you know, the, the compromise oh, yeah. of, of 1876 was, you know, changed the course of the country. I mean, it's, you know, contested elections and, and sour grapes after you lose, especially a really close run race. None of that's new. That that's, we've always had that. I mean, you know, the presidential campaigns of the early 1800s were vicious. Yeah, and yeah. I none mean, of that's and, new. Right, and a lot of people said, oh, this is the most vicious one. I've never seen a country so divided. People forget that there was a civil war. Right. <laughs> where the country was very divided. And right before, I think it was 1857, right before the civil war, two senators, one senator actually almost beat another senator to right. death with a cane. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> like, oh, yeah. Things were pretty intense. Had, yeah, I mean, it was... You know, this none of this is new, and that's one of the the things about QAnon that you that I really wanted to get into in the book is is to kind of strip away everything that looks new about it and reveal the component parts underneath it. And all the component parts are old. You know, th- this is stuff that has been floating around for decades, for centuries. You know, that you go to the blood libel of the 1200s, all the way to scams that were really popular right after 9/11. I mean, it's everything here has been done already. It's just put in a new suit and given a social media friendly sheen and pushed out there as, as this brand new thing, but it's not new. All this stuff is, is very, very old. Well, let me ask you a question. Cause like starting with nine 11 and this, we're going to explore QAnon obviously, but I also want to set the foundation of conspiracy theories. Cause there's some interesting things here. So after nine 11, there's all the, what do you call them? The truthers, truthers that people yeah, think the- that America it was a, a quote unquote false. There's all this this vocabulary of conspiracies. It was a false flag operation, right. meaning 
the U.S. did it on purpose with Bush's knowledge so that he could have an excuse to go bomb the poorest country on the planet, right. Afghanistan, for some reason. And and I've talked to truthers. It surprises me different how p- different people I know were actually truthers. And like they would say things like there's no f- footage or photographs of the plane that hit the Pentagon, which is untrue. You right. can search anywhere and there's footage yeah. of it. And And then also people say, how did the, the building, the World Trade Centers just collapse straight down? It must have been an explosion at the bottom. They don't understand physics, which is right. that the heavier part is at the bottom. Right. So, yeah. yeah. Or, you know what I mean? I mean, basically, if, if you, you, you can't tip over because if the if the top starts to go down, that's the weight. And so it's just right. going to keep going down. It's going gonna, it's gonna, yeah, to collapse in on itself. It's not going right. to just fall over. It's not a stack of books. And then, and then the most the most important thing is a more circumstantial thing, other than the laws of physics, which is that in order for something like this to happen, you would need, you know, hundreds, maybe even thousands of people to be in on the conspiracy, right. and not a single person has ever come forward ever. So the odds of that are insignificantly tiny. Right. And the idea that it was a controlled demolition. Well, okay. So explosives were just sitting in the twin towers for forty years, and like nobody noticed. Who who put them in there? When were they put in? How were they detonated? I mean, they're very almost pedantic questions. But if you're alleging that the two, two of the biggest office buildings in New York City were blown up by explosives, I feel like there has to be sort of a trail of who put them there, how were they put in, when were they put in, how did nobody notice them. You know who paid for them, and and these are they're very simple questions, but they're the questions that conspiracy theory believers never ask themselves. They overcomplicate things to the point of of not really being able to explain anything at all. Whereas a few simple falsifying questions w- would sort of disabuse them of the conspiracy, but they don't want that. They want to believe that there is a conspiracy because something totally unforeseeable happened. Something totally outside of the realm of our experience happened. And we don't want to say that there's a simple explanation. We need there to be a complicated one. Right. Why do you think we need there to be a complicated one? We really need the universe to not be random. We need the universe to have a plan. There needs to be order. There needs to be somebody in charge of of things. We don't want to think of ourselves as having possibly maybe been in the tower when it went down or maybe having been on one of those planes when they were when they crashed we want there to be a grand plan and we want we want to have enemies we want to feel like we are important enough and powerful enough to be noticed by the bad guys and sort of singled out for destruction and a lot of that is what drives qAnon a lot of that drove 911 truth movement a lot of that has always driven conspiracy theories that we are special and important and the the powers that are controlling everything have to destroy us to carry out their evil plan. So, okay, so that brings us to QAnon. Okay, so Donald Trump says this quote. What's the quote? He says specifically- Could, uh, could be the calm before the storm. Right, and, you know, that's not any different than other things he said, but right. people picked up on that. And, and by the way, I'm not defending him. I just don't believe conspiracy theories in general. But- um, so on 8chan or 4chan, there was stuff starting to happen on the message boards. What was happening? And how, how, first off, I'm, I'm a, a, I would say a well-versed internet user like most people, but I've never used 4chan or 8chan. What, what are these? These are like message board sites, but why? what's the appeal to them? Sure. 
So uh, 4chan and 8chan, 8chan is now 8kun. It's a complicated explanation, probably not worth getting into at this point. These are image boards. So these are primarily designed to post pictures. So you, you post screen grabs, memes, tons of memes. There is text, but they are primarily for images. And 4chan was started by a, a guy who was 15 at the time when he started it. And it was an American version of the really popular anime image board 2Channel. This is a huge website in Japan, one of the most popular sites in the in that country. So this guy started an American version of it. And, and the so appeal, I'm looking at 4chan right now for the first time ever. It's awful. I mean, I mean so it's not all awful, but it's the it's like worst porn. places on it are absolutely terrible. Like, is it anything but porn? There, there is. I mean, there have been some very popular memes that have come out of 4chan. Things like uh, Rick Rolling, Lolcats. That that stuff all came out of 4chan. But then, if you go to some of the really, really bad places, there, there's a board called Poll um, that is just like hardcore anti-Semitism, hardcore conspiracy theories. Um, there is a lot of porn there. I, I really don't recommend people go to these places. Um, there's just you're not going to find anything worth finding there, but these okay, places like, are really popular because they're mostly unmoderated. So and so is it 4chan.org or 4chan.com? Uh, you know I don't actually know. I think it's, you know I don't know. I actually don't know. I haven't gone to 4chan in a long time. And it's and easy what enough was, to find. What was the one you said? Just said uh, poll. Yeah, poll. P o l l. P o l. P-O-L, okay. Uh, I have to say this is, uh, uh, I make it a point, I, I'm not, this is not bragging, I make a point never to go to porn sites. Hmm. And so like, this is literally the first time this computer has been shocked like this, <laughs> seeing all this porn. So I'm trying to find poll. I don't really You know, I don't, it. So, it may not be up anymore. You know, a lot of this stuff has changed. Um, yeah. So let's see, boards. Uh, I'll just go to like a random one uh, about comics. And now maybe I can find, maybe I could search something. Yeah, if you go to 4chan.org, like the first thing you see is porn. Like it's, yeah. it's like, don't go there. It's it's bad. Yeah. Um, okay, so, so on 4chan, somebody found a message board after going through all the porn and, uh, and they started once uh, theorizing what Trump might have meant. Why would someone... Just is someone was someone knowledgeable, or did someone just like randomly said, "I'm going to create a conspiracy out of this"? Yeah, nobody was knowledgeable. There is a tradition on the poll board of users playing these characters that are called anons, and these characters would pretend to be these really high level people who had you know insider access to secret knowledge. So there was White House insider anon, there was FBI anon, uh, there was a guy who called himself Highway Patrolman who claimed to have uh, intercepted a, a truck full of adrenalized child blood. I mean, it's just, it's crazy stuff. I mean, it's all storytelling and pretending and winding people up. So there was a long tradition of this. And I, I, I talk about some of this in the book. You know, a lot of these accounts would, would pop up, they would answer questions, and then they disappear. And so one of these Anons responded to a comment by somebody else uh, saying that Hillary Clinton would be arrested on uh, I, October 31st, I think it was. And this Q, it was, they weren't called Q at the beginning. They, they didn't have a name at the beginning. They said Hillary Clinton extradition in process 
Um, Marines and National Guard will be called up to quell riots uh, that take place when she is arrested. I don't have the wording of that perfectly. It's not It's not right in front of me. But basically, the first post was Hillary Clinton was under arrest. There were going to be riots. And this was a board full of people who absolutely worshipped Donald Trump and really, really wanted to see Hillary Clinton uh, brought to justice. So what, what stood out with Q from these other ones is that there was this direct action. This wasn't sort of rhetorical answers to unanswerable questions. This was a concrete action that was about to happen and that you would know was happening because you could go talk to a Marine or National Guard who was in your street and ask them what they were doing. Now, the timing of all of this was a couple of weeks after uh, Trump made this comment about the calm before the storm. And of course, nobody knew what that meant. But there was also this conspiracy theory going around that on November 4th was going to be this Antifa uprising, that Antifa super soldiers were going to take to the streets, were going to you know, start kicking down doors and grabbing conservatives and like murdering them in their houses, and that the um, U.S. military was going to be called up to crush the Antifa super soldier uprising. So all of that stuff is what, so— Why was it called super soldier? That's like Captain America. Yeah, I mean, it's just this is just the garbage that gets attached to this stuff. And I think the super soldier thing was actually a, a parody of it. Like somebody was was criticizing it, and then that term stuck. But there was this Antifa uprising conspiracy theory. And all of these people were already terrified of Antifa. They, they you know— they were terrified of Black Lives Matter. So all of this dovetailed in uh, Hillary's going to be arrested. The Marines and the National Guard are going to get called up. Antifa's going to rise up. And it's all going to happen on November 3rd. Y- you know, so then November 3rd comes and nothing happens. So right. the Q community very quickly gets used to rationalizing why things don't happen. But Q just keeps posting, and and they add more and more detail. They eventually start calling themselves Q Clearance Patriot. Q Clearance is an actual thing. It's a Department of Energy classification for um, top-level officers and civilian employees who work with nuclear weapons. So there's a very, very small kernel of truth in this and a whole bunch of garbage. And as Q just keeps pushing this story, more and more people start getting into it. And within a week, 10 days, you, you started to see these really encouraging responses on 4chan. You're starting to see people making Twitter threads interpreting this stuff. You're starting to see people making videos about it. And it just caught on because it told a really compelling story that people really wanted to be true. Right. So, so uh, what happened next? Like, was there any evidence at all? that there was any group QAnon or did QAnon start actually at this moment because everybody was saying it existed. So some people said, oh, I want to join and, and yeah. they made it exist. Yeah, it, what what happened is that it kind of willed itself into existence. And, and we've seen this happen with other stuff on 4chan where it just gets popular and the more popular it gets, the bigger it gets and more people get into it and more people get excited. And you started to see a community of people who were interpreting these drops. And of course, Q just kept pushing them out and kept adding more details and kept making the story bigger and kept adding more players to it. You know, Barack Obama's birth certificate got brought into it. George Soros got in, got involved in it. Uh, Robert Mueller got pulled into it. So it just kept, the story just kept getting bigger and bigger. 
And it, and if you look at those first 150 or so drops, like those first couple of weeks, they really do read like something out of a Tom Clancy book. You know, it's it's actually, it's not just internet garbage at this point. It's it's actually really compelling. And you can see kind of how people would get interested and how people would be really waiting for the next drop because like, ooh, where's the story going to go next? And, you know, so much of conspiracy theory literature is like that. It's it's a story. It's it's not about sort of, you know, the dark forces are going to crush you. It's it's telling you a story that you aren't supposed to know about. And of course that secret knowledge lure is is huge in Q and in a lot of these other movements. So so okay, various people were claiming to be Q. Yeah. Uh and and they were claiming to be high-level government officials. Like, was anything at all true in any of the things that were being posted? No, absolutely none of it was true. And what's funny is that those first 150 or so drops, Q really works up to this, this storm. This, these mass arrests, Hillary being arrested, you know, John Podesta being arrested, the, the deep state being blown open, and nothing happens. And then Q starts rewriting their own story. They, they start talking about how, oh, you think I meant Hillary Clinton? No, I actually meant Saudi Arabia because there had been a, a purge of uh, anti, anti-royalist anti you know officials and, and minor family members of the royal family that had gone on in Saudi Arabia at about the same time. And so Q completely rewrote their own story on the fly that the purge of the deep state was not about the U.S., but about Saudi Arabia. And, you know, Hillary will be brought to justice eventually, but I was actually talking about Saudi Arabia this whole time. And then- well, What does it mean time, about Saudi Arabia, that, that that the Saudi Arabia royal family was going to be purged, yeah. or what was going to happen? Yeah, that, that the Saudi Arabia royal family was going to be purged, um, mm. because that was kind of happening already. So mm. Q shifted from a fake thing to a real thing. And one of the really critical concepts in Q got posted right around that time, which is Q made a drop that said disinformation is necessary. Uh, so basically Q was saying, sometimes I'm going to lie to you and I need to do that to keep the deep state off my tail, which is genius. Yeah, because then anything could be said and then denied later. It is the ultimate get out of jail free card. It's saying all that stuff, nope, that was fake. I put that out there on purpose. Um, It's all part of the plan. So it trained believers to just go with whatever was said. And if it was fake, it didn't matter because it was all part of this secret and silent war that Q was fighting against the deep state. So obviously people on the right were interested in what was going on with QAnon, but people on the left were very interested because they used it as evidence that Trump was masterminding some some big thing. And so it was on both sides that people almost wanted to believe that QAnon existed. And yeah, that might have fueled it as well. Yeah, in the beginning, the it was it was almost entirely a, a right wing thing. Um, you you saw a little bit of writing about it in the mainstream media, but even that didn't really catch on for the first couple of months. For the for November and beginning of December, this was really underground on 4chan. This this the mainstream media was not really taking notice of this. Um, liberals weren't really taking notice of this, and if they were, it was like pointing and laughing, and just calling these people kooks. But it was uh, around December when a couple of the early QAnon evangelists went onto Infowars. And once they crossed that barrier to go onto Infowars and, and find that enormous audience, it was mainstream then. 
And so when you say QAnon evangelists, were they in involved with any kind of burgeoning group called QAnon or were they just saying, what were they saying? Like how, what, what does it mean to be an evangelist? What did they know or were they just having a fun time? Sure. There, at that point, there wasn't really a group called QAnon. Um, the, the poster was going by Q, but the, the concept of what this was was still really nebulous. What these people were doing was interpreting the drops. They would, you know, they would read these really cryptic posts and try to figure out what they actually meant, what was really being talked about here. And of course, they developed their whole language for it very quickly. Um, the, you know, you, the posts were called drops. The Twitter or 4chan threads where they were interpreted were called breads. The people who posted those were called bakers. I mean, it, it very quickly developed its own lingo, which, of course, any cultic movement does to separate the in-group from the out-group. If you're right. in the in-group, you know what all this stuff means. If you're in the out-group, you think it's all just crazy gibberish. But these guys went on Infowars. They'd been making videos already. They were already getting tens of thousands of views on some of these things. And they said, we are part of the greatest secret military intelligence operation of all time, and we need your help. We need you to help us decode these things. We need retired military intelligence professionals. We need people who, who have experience in, in communications and the armed forces. They specifically appealed to baby boomers because baby boomers traditionally have a more difficult time separating fake news from real stories online. Uh, baby boomers are much more likely to share fake stories on Facebook, are much more likely to get taken in by hoaxes and scams. So It's really true, actually. Whenever yeah. I get, like, whenever I have a friend who sends me some insane news story, it's usually a baby boomer. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and, you know, the you know it's faxes, it's chain emails. I mean, this is just, it's another version of that. So within a couple of months, QAnon had gone from just these sort of random Looney Tunes posts about Hillary Clinton being arrested to a growing group of disaffected conservatives who felt like they were part of something secret and special being done to the progressive cabal that was trying to rewrite their way of life. And it just took off from there. I have to say, Airbnb has changed my life. I just love staying in Airbnbs. Like in about a month, I'm going to Cocoa Beach, which is right next to Cape Canaveral. I'm going to watch some rocket launches. I'm going to, of course, be staying in a very nice Airbnb on the beach. And it's just such a great experience. Like the whole world is available to us now because of Airbnb. But whenever I'm at an Airbnb, I always realize, you know, I the home that I left to come to this Airbnb, I could be making money on that right now by hosting and and being an Airbnb myself. So, and I've known people, I had a friend who basically, you know, made a living from turning his home into an Airbnb. So if you have a home, but you're not always at home, you do have an Airbnb there. And it's an e it can easily fit into your lifestyle and it's a great way to earn some money. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. 
The famous Abraham Lincoln quote says, good things come to those who wait. I wonder, did he really say that? Jay, did he really say that? Can you look that up? Regardless of who said it, that's only part of the quote. The full quote is, good things come to those who wait, but only the things left by those who hustle. Well, if you're a business owner and want the best people on your team, the same applies. And listen, I've interviewed 1,500 people now and a lot of entrepreneurs. I can safely say the one thing consistent among all entrepreneurs and CEOs, the the successful ones, is that it's all about the people you surround yourself. You, if you hire well, you're going to have a great business. And, you know, thankfully, ZipRecruiter puts the hustle in your hiring. So you find qualified candidates fast. This is so important. And I, I want you to try it. You could try it as a potential employer or employee. You could try it for free at ZipRecruiter.com slash James. ZipRecruiter's smart technology finds top talent for your roles right away. Immediately after you post your job, if you're hiring, ZipRecruiter's matching technology starts showing you qualified people for it. And I will tell you that I signed up on ZipRecruiter as a potential employee. You know, I just wanted to see how it works. And right away, it started matching me with really amazing potential employers. So give it a try at ZipRecruiter.com slash James. Let ZipRecruiter give you the hiring hustle you need. See why four out of five employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate within the first day. Just go to ZipRecruiter.com slash James to try it for free. Again, that's ZipRecruiter.com slash James. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. Justin and so good. Thousands of summer deals at your Nordstrom Rack Store. Save up to 60% on new arrivals from Vince, Rag & Bone, Adidas, Joe's, Marc Jacobs, and more. Great brands, great prices every day at Nordstrom Rack. But hurry for first dibs. Get your summer favorites up to 60% off at Nordstrom Rack today. Great brands, great prices. That's why you rack. From what you're saying, it started off maybe as this made-up conspiracy on this semi-obscure message board. I know 4chan is, is very popular, not obscure, but... I'll call it semi-obscure at the moment. I think that's and right. and and but then what happened was is it represented a concept that the quote unquote deep state, which was uh, from the progressive side, was had been controlling the world forever, and Trump was going had a plan, and Trump with this group QAnon had a plan to take them down. So th- this is a concept that's made up, but then people started to su- subscribe to this concept and started to tweet about this concept. Maybe some people were making stuff up. Maybe some people were connecting the dots of things already posted by people who were making it up. But ultimately, it had people subscribe to this idea who identified as QAnon. Yeah, that's basically it. You know, it it very quickly outgrew what it started as, and it became something much bigger and, and much more uh, uncontrollable. And that's one of the reasons why in the book and in the writing that I do, I really don't get into who made those initial posts. Mm-hmm. We don't know. And because whoever made those 4chan posts didn't leave a way to identify themselves, there's no cryptographic key there. There's no real signature. You know, anybody could have made those posts. And a lot of people have claimed to have done it. You know, you've got like half a dozen different people who claim to have made those first posts. And none of them really have any evidence to support their claims. So why would I believe one over another? 
But the, the reason why it doesn't matter is because Q outgrew all of that. It, 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 it sort of left behind its uh, cicada shell and, and flew off into the world. So you don't, you don't need the shell anymore. It's, it's on its own now. It doesn't need that. Right, because what was happening was the people who were essentially subscribing to the concept, whether it was made up or not, those were real people and they started congregating on the internet and, you know, cause there's like one, you know, so, so like the FBI in 2019 sent out around a memo saying QAnon represents uh, a domestic, a threat of domestic terrorism. And were they accurate or were they falling for the scam? Were they accurate in the sense that there were enough people now who subscribed to the concept and identified as QAnon that, and they were far, far right and potentially violent, was their memo correct? Oh, their memo was absolutely correct. And they Mm -hmm. were a year late on it. We'd already seen violence by QAnon believers long before that. Um, Like what kind of, what what was the first examples of violence that we saw? The the first really major one was the Hoover Dam standoff. And that was in summer of 2018 when this this Mm -hmm. guy, Matthew Wright, who was an ex-Marine, I think he may have been homeless at the time, but was a hardcore QAnon believer, he got into his homemade armored truck that he lived in with multiple firearms, 900 rounds of ammunition, flashbang grenades, and a, and a sign that he'd written out that said, release the OIG report. And OIG stands for Office of the Inspector General. And there's, there was all this, you know, hullabaloo going on in right-wing media at the beginning of 2018 about you know, memos and reports that were going to blow open all of the corruption in the FBI, all of the, you know, all the people in the deep state who tried to rig the election for Hillary and tried to stop Trump and were leaking all of this stuff to damage Trump. And Q had made a drop positing that this OIG report that was supposed to come out was going to be redacted, but that there was a second secret OIG report that would be unredacted that only Donald Trump could release. Now, this did not exist, and it, it never existed. But what, what do they think that report would say? That that the FBI conspired to uh, to stop Trump, basically. That the FBI was mm-hmm. running a secret state, and the inspector general had found it, and all of these people were going to be brought to justice. I mean, never mind that an inspector general does not have the power to arrest people. It's merely an oversight function. But somehow this report was going to come out, and then like there would be mass arrests. None of this stuff passes a logical test, but it doesn't have to, because if you want to believe it enough, it's true. So this guy, Matthew Wright, gets in his truck, he's got his guns, he's got his ammo, he's got his flashbangs, he drives to Hoover Dam, he stops on a bridge outside the dam, barricades himself there, people are running in terror, the uh, SWAT team comes up, he then takes off in his truck, they have to shoot his tires out. Uh, he finally comes to stop after he drives off the road. It's a miracle nobody was hurt. This guy was arrested. He writes a letter in prison asking Donald Trump to pardon him because he was fighting the deep state on behalf of Trump. He was recently sentenced, I think, to eight years in prison. And this was wow. summer of 2018. This was eight months after the first Q drops had come out. So at that point, anybody who was pointing and laughing at QAnon as just a bunch of internet kooks really should have stopped, but they didn't. It just, it took another almost year for anybody to really take this seriously. And then along the way, there were things like Pizzagate and all this crazy stuff. Like what was, 
what was that? What was the relationship to QAnon? Sure. So Pizzagate uh, happened first. It That came up in October 2016, right before the election. And this was based on the hacked and leaked emails of John Podesta. And these, these 4chan guys went through this and started looking for references to pizza and hot dogs, claiming that they were coded references to child trafficking and pedophilia, and that the, the Clinton-Podesta trafficking ring was being run out of the basement of Comet Ping Pong, this, this pizza place in D.C. that had some weird artwork and like hosted like kind of edgy heavy metal bands and, and, and stuff like that. And it was kind of a nexus for you know, a lot of activity in the D.C. social scene. And they created this entire mythology out of nothing based on a bunch of references in the Podesta emails that don't mean anything. You know, stuff about like handkerchiefs and dominoes and cheese. I mean, stuff that just doesn't mean anything. And they turned this into this vast conspiracy theory about Hillary Clinton. And it fell apart actually pretty quickly, but a lot of its concepts were then reappropriated for QAnon. So, okay, so how big did things get was Trump involved at all? Like there's one article that says he was constantly retweeting QAnon tweets. Like, what does that mean? Like what, what was, what was the involvement of high level government with any of these domestic extremists? Sure. Um, you know, it's always questionable as to what Donald Trump actually knows and what he just retweets and sort of how this stuff gets in front of him. But he retweeted over 300 QAnon believers on Twitter. Now, a lot of them were, these weren't QAnon tweets. Like the first time he did it was actually fairly quickly after the first drops. He retweeted this um, presidential accomplishment list by put up by this account called Magapill. And Magapill was also one of the original QAnon believers. They uh, Magapill put up this blog post about how Q was revealing all of this sensitive information and it was going to be the greatest military intelligence operation in history, blah, blah, blah. It's it's entirely conceivable that Trump had no idea, that nobody in Trump's orbit knew what Q was at that point. But, you know, Trump liked to retweet stuff that was nice to him. And he retweeted this accomplishment that was like, oh, we're this isn't even everything. We're just getting started. And then, you know, journalists dug into it like, oh, this guy's a hardcore believer in this QAnon thing. What? What's that? And nobody really ran with it because it was too weird. Yeah, and it's crazy. And I mean, again, this has nothing to do with a political stance, but my my goal on this is to show that, okay, again, whether or not you love Joe Biden, whether or not you love or hate Donald Trump, uh, sometimes when things get extreme, it's important to call it out to to because to, people get scared. And yeah. understanding what the truth is you shouldn't be covered up by what your political beliefs are, you know, so whether they're, you know, knowing the history of these movements, because it did become a movement, like we, 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 the culmination of it being the January 6th, right. you know, insurrection in the Capitol Hill, but it's important to know that it's, that there wasn't like an 8,000 year old Babylonian cult that no. this QAnon was fighting. And that are, cause I see people who are extremely afraid on both sides where it's just, Ridiculous. And and so the, the point I'm making is like, I'll, if someone says something nice about me on Twitter, I'll retweet it without even thinking. Be, if, I almost certainly won't know who the person sure. is I'm retweeting. And the, I'm certain the president of the United States has even less time than me. Hopefully has better to things believe. to do. <laughs> 
Right, but but for him to just retweet stuff, that's like a normal thing. That's yeah. what everybody does. Yeah, there, there's to me, there's no real um, indication that anybody in Trump's inner circle had anything to do with this, and and it's and it's not necessary. This took off not because of some giant conspiracy and not because of foreign intervention, which is another thing people love to say about QAnon who don't really understand it. Oh, it, it, it's Russians. It's got to be the Russians. It's not. It's, it is us. It is us falling for the same human tendency to, to embrace conspiracies that we've always had. This stuff works for a reason because our brains are wired to see these patterns. You know, Vladimir Putin did not invent conspiracy theories. Donald Trump didn't invent conspiracy theories. This stuff has always been a part of how we view the world. And if you exploit it really well, you can become really successful. Yeah, and so tell me some of the stories. You have a lot of stories in your book, but tell me some of the stories that were kind of extreme cases of people believing or even feeling they were a part of QAnon and just what happened. Sure. You know, there's there's all kinds of stories. I talked to a lot of... Uh, family members and, and loved ones of people who've been affected by QAnon. I really didn't talk to a lot of QAnon believers themselves because they're they're very unreliable as narrators. Um, also, I'm a Rothschild and a journalist, and I write what they think are hit pieces about QAnon, so they're not going to tell me the truth anyway. Right. But, oh, I heard stories about um, a woman who's, and not all of this is in the book. There's just not room for it. A woman whose mother is a psychiatrist and is also a hardcore QAnon believer. And this woman had to uh, basically snitch on her mother to the uh, to that state's ethics board because she was talking about QAnon in therapy sessions. There's um, a guy, and I, this is in the book, a guy whose uh, friend of 30 years became so consumed with paranoia that the government was spying on him and ruining his investment schemes that he uh, started carrying guns and knives around and was sending texts to his mother and his children saying that Q was going to kill them. Wow. So wait, this is this this guy, Garth? Yes. Yeah. And and so he had inherited some money, right? And uh, was investing it poorly, which is normal for people to inherit money and then thinking they could turn, I don't know what it was, 3 million into 100 million. It it wasn't even that much. Yeah, and so he, he it's understandable he lost it all and he went crazy because it's not like he was going to make that money. He inherited right. it. So what happened? He he sends all these threatening notes, and then what happened? Um, eventually, I mean, he was sending pictures of their house while they were in it. He was sending death threats, uh, really graphic texts about murdering them. They went to the police, and he, uh, Garth, was eventually arrested for stalking, um, harassment, threats. He threatened a judge. Um, even at his competency hearing, he he broke his bond. He was screaming at the judge. He was threatening his, his friend, his mom in court. Um, and he's in prison right now um, and I think is pending another competency hearing that's probably going to be pretty down the line. But this, I mean, this is all mixed up in QAnon. This is mixed up in, you know, investment scams. I mean, this is all, all of this is all meshed together. So yeah, these, these are horrifying stories of families that are just completely shattered by this. You know, a lot of these people, there was already a, a predilection for conspiratorial thinking. A lot of these people, in fact, almost all Q believers come to QAnon through other conspiracy theories, but it's never quite as uh, aggressive or, or violent 
as QAnon is. You know, um, what about like some cases where information was dropped that could maybe was true or at least worth looking at, like some of the stuff about Hunter Biden, for instance, in China, QAnon was taking some credit for this. What was going on there? Because I never really followed what the sources of that news of that those pieces of news was. Oh, sure. Yeah. All of the, you know, all of the stuff going up into the 2020 election was all about Joe Biden's corruption, Hunter Biden's corruption. And and then, of course, it was all, by that point, it was so mainstream in right-wing media that, you know, you turn on Fox News and it's like Hunter Biden's laptop from hell. And, you know, who knows where this stuff comes from? A lot of it starts on very obscure right-wing blogs or, you know, just individual Twitter users sometimes who just make this stuff up. And I, I look at disinformation as kind of a pyramid. And at the very bottom are these, you know, anonymous accounts, these 4chan posters, these right-wing blogs that very few people read. And a lot of these stories just don't go anywhere. But then some of them kind of filter up the pyramid and they get picked up by some of the more reputable, you know, reputable in quotes, right-wing blogs. And they get picked up by bigger Twitter influencers and bigger YouTube influencers. And then some of that stuff gets picked up by places like Breitbart and Gateway Pundit, um, you know, OAN, you know, some of the really big QAnon influencers. And those things make their way up and up and up. And finally, they land with Donald Trump. And Donald Trump would retweet them to 80 million people. Was there anything true at all? Like, you know, uh, I, I remember there was one video right in the weeks before the election of Hunter Biden in China. Was any of this true or was it not true? What was the story? I mean, some of it was true. Hunter Biden certainly had drug issues. He had some dodgy investments. Um, You know, I don't think anybody was looking at Hunter Biden as a potential saint. But, you know, it it actually, what a lot of the Hunter Biden stuff did was it actually helped Joe Biden, I think. I mean, Joe Biden really stuck by his son. And he's like, really? You, You think that humanizing a guy for standing by his son and loving him no matter what is going to hurt him? Really? At that point, it just became about destroying this guy because it was easy and it was lucrative. I mean, it also, like you could see how conspiracy theorists could take reality and just give it that little extra push to turn it into something else. Because, you know, take the Jeffrey Epstein case. Yeah. This is a situation where the guy was supposedly worth billions and had all these high powered friends ranging from Bill Gates to Donald Trump, to Bill Clinton, to Noam. I I don't want to say Noam Chomsky, other uh, big famous world leaders. He had this weird Island with a cult like temple uh, in the center. And he had this whole pedophilia ring that all these older people may or may not have been a part of. So you could see how that feat, that, that, true story that we don't really know. And then he somehow died mysteriously under mysterious circumstances. So this is a totally true story, at least the parts I just said, because I also said what we don't know in in this, we don't really know all the connections. Right. And, but you could easily see how you just kind of fill in the cement between the bricks and now you have a building and that's the the cult-like aspect. It's it's not so hard to take the next leap to turn that into some 8,000 year old pedophilia cult or some other strange thing about the Clintons or about Trump or about Bill Gates or, or whatever. And so, and of course, pedophilia was at the center of this pizza gate. Like, you know, pedophilia resonates with the conspiracy theorists who, right. you know, they think they're living their normal lives and here's the government having sex with, you know, slave children right. and 
So, and, and it's about children. And people tend to kind of take leave of their senses when they think children are in danger. That's why QAnon morphed over the summer of 2020 into this save the children thing. Because, like, you can debate the existence of, like, a pedophile cabal. But when you start saying things like save the children, who doesn't want to save the children? We all want to save the children. Right. It's a, it's a really easy thing to do, you know? With, with Epstein, you know, there's so much of that that is true. He was, you know, he was a criminal. He, he was, uh, he'd already done time in prison. Everybody knew what he'd done. You know, a lot of the really lurid stuff has never been proven, but it, it, it doesn't need to be. It doesn't matter. You know, what he did do was bad enough. And then when, when the news broke of, of him dying, I was like, this is going to be the Super Bowl of conspiracy theories. Because yeah. left and right both have reasons to get rid of this guy. He's tied up with Trump. He's tied up with Clinton. And he's in prison, and this isn't supposed to happen. You're, you know, a high-level criminal is not supposed to be able to kill themselves in prison. And then we, we, we forget that, you know, a lot of these prisons are pretty dilapidated, and a lot of these prison guards are not great at their jobs. And it's not really a surprise that the cameras outside of his cell weren't working. You know, there's no money to keep this stuff up. And, you know, whether he paid somebody off to look the other way or whatever, here was a guy in Epstein who had never really faced the consequences of his actions. And, you know, he'd gotten a slap on the wrist in prison time, you know, a few years before that. But this guy was looking at probably spending the rest of his life in prison and having to go to court and look his victims in the eye. And I don't think it is a stretch at all to think of a wealthy and powerful guy who is finally brought brought to heel for the consequences of his actions. And he's saying, no, I'm not doing that. I'm done. I'm not, I'm not going to face that. Yeah, I mean, it's almost like insanity. Like, here's a guy who, like you say, he was already convicted of guilty. He already had served some time. Yeah. Why did he, I guess I guess he got back to doing what he was doing. Why would he do that? That's kind of like mentally ill. You yeah. Just, you just wonder, like, and also he's an older guy. Can't he just, like, cool his jets a little bit? Yeah, you know, you know can't can he maybe cool it on the crimes, you know? Yeah. Like, or, That's or, just like, not how they he, think. Does he really need that to be happy? Like, what was what was wrong with Jeffrey Epstein? Like, he was clearly, like, also mentally ill, but he was so smooth. I never met him or anything, but he was so smooth. Apparently, people, like, just loved this guy. Like, don't these people know better? But, and a lot of it is is the same thing that draws people to Trump. There's a, there's a charisma to them. You want to be around them. You feel better and more important by being around this guy. And you look at what he's done, you go, oh, well, he, no, nobody's perfect. Well, okay. I mean, maybe we need to all have a little bit better judgment of the people that we allow into our lives. Yeah, and again, this has nothing to do with whether you believe in Trump's beliefs or whatever. Right. But it's just, you know, like in the pandemic, I was reading up to 40% of U.S. citizens considered themselves lonely. And Mm -hmm. you could see how if you're lonely, you want to be part of a a group that makes you feel less lonely. And, yeah. you know, you're part of something. There's a reason why you're lonely. You're, you're part of some group that's, that's making you lonely or, or making you feel alienated from society. Yeah. And it's very appealing. Yeah. There is a conspiracy against you. Right. And that is so much of what really drove this massive growth of QAnon in, in the pandemic was you know, the whole world was on lockdown. All of this stuff is happening really fast because of a virus that we don't quite understand 
that our under, you know, our understanding of it is is like changing by the day. And they say, you know, don't wear masks. Then they say, do wear masks. Then they say the lockdown is going to be 15 days and it's going to be a month. Then it's going to be three months. And people are inside. A lot of people have lost their jobs or are working from home and trying to navigate that. We're cut off from our support systems, from our extended families. If you're single and you live by yourself, you're not seeing anybody. And that is a Petri dish for people to go online and look for explanations and and try to find the real reason why this is happening. And that's why this grew so much, because people from all these different spheres of fringe and conspiratorial thinking, you know, everything from like the far right to a lot of these, you know, wellness spaces and like health freedom communities, you know, traditionally more leftist leaning, but still very hardcore into conspiracy theories, just different conspiracy theories. They all came together under the umbrella of, we don't know what's going on. Somebody explain this to us. And there's QAnon. And QAnon offers a great explanation that there's a secret war going on between good and evil. And the pandemic is just part of that secret war. Don't you want to join the secret war? Don't you want to be part of the great awakening? Be a digital soldier. Join us. And people who are lonely and disaffected and confused go, I want that. That's a good explanation. I'm signing up for that. And there you go. And you have a massive growing community of people who have radicalized themselves. And all they were doing was looking for people to talk to. We all probably know people who send around messages, look, this is what's happening. It's all going to get uncovered. And it's very cute and non-ish. And you talk about de-radicalizing people. Do you think it's possible? I don't know if it's possible. It is. Um, it's uh, never on both been sides, done... by the way. Sure. Like, I, oh, totally. I see it on both oh, sides. Like there were people who thought, you know, who again thought Trump was planning some massive purge. That's on one extreme. And then there's people who thought a purge was needed. And that's on right. the other extreme. The, yeah. The people who, who, you know, woke up every day and, and thought Trump was going to prison. You know, I mean, I mean it's a different ha- kind of radicalism. I would often hear from two to, like in the same day, some people would tell me it's gonna, it's about to hit. There's gonna be a lot of arrests. You'll see, they, they just uncovered some stuff. And then I would hear from another thing from the same, from another person, but they were both talking about the opposite sides. Yep. Yeah. So, yeah, and the, it was just, the, and nothing ever happened. And I would remind them, you know, <laughs> you say this every day and nothing ever happens. Nothing yeah. sticks. Like there's no fraud. There's no pizza gate. There's no right. this, there's no that. Like it's all just insane. So, but, and you talk about de-radicalizing people, like you can actually change them, but I don't know if that's possible. It's not possible at scale. Um, there, there is nothing that the government can do to enact, you know, information hygiene or de-radicalization. That's just, it's never going to work coming from an authority like that. Where you can start to de-radicalize someone is in your own life. If, if you have somebody in your life who is an extremist, a QAnon believer, a, you know, a violent conspiracy theorist. Now you have to decide if it's safe to even interact with that person. And, you know, by no means am I advocating that if you are linked to somebody who, you know, stormed the Capitol or is a violent anti-Semite who's, you know, part of a three percenter militia, you you can cut that person out of your life and feel good about it. You know, there is no requirement to have to, to even try. But if you have somebody in your life who is a believer in this stuff, but is maybe showing some signs of of not being quite so into it anymore, maybe it's starting to unravel a little bit for them. 
what you can do is offer yourself as a safe place. You, as someone who will not mock them, who won't judge them, who will not try to debate or debunk or fact check their beliefs away, all of that stuff is just going to drive somebody deeper into what they believe. I mean, think about some weird belief that you've had. If somebody mocks you for it, you're not just suddenly going to give up that weird belief. You're going to believe it more. You're, you're going to yeah. say, well, I'm, I'll show you. You know, I'm, I'm going to stick to this more. So you, you present yourself as a safe place to talk about anodyne topics. You're not talking about politics. You're not talking about Trump. You're not talking about the stolen election or anything like that. You're talking about shared experiences, you know, pop culture that you've enjoyed together, you know, trips you've taken, anything like that. And if that person is op- starting to open up to you, you, you draw that person out. You try to unplug them for a while, you know, even just a couple hours away from the constant churn of social media garbage can can really be beneficial to a person who's starting to be on the fence about this stuff. Now, it's also really incumbent on you to, to learn about these movements. You know, if somebody, if you have a QAnon believer in your family and they look like they're starting to come out of it, if you know a lot about QAnon and can kind of walk them through some of their more difficult questions, you're going to present yourself as somebody who takes this seriously and takes them seriously and takes their concerns seriously. And you can agree that powerful people get away with bad things. You can agree that there are events in our lives that defy explanation. And you slowly start to, to help that person out of it. So the moment they that it, the, the fever breaks for them, you know, they pull on the thread and it unravels, you're there for them. And, and, and they don't have to start from zero in terms of rebuilding their life. But it's very difficult. It's very time-consuming. And, it, and if the person doesn't want to come out of it, if they want to stay in that belief, you'll never get anywhere with it. And it's best to just leave it alone. What what's the flip side of QAnon? This Antifa was that a, a conspiracy? Like, what's up with that one? Well, Antifa is is a little different because it's so much of a boogeyman on the right. You know, you have this this paranoia about you know Antifa like taking over the government and and you know indoctrinating people. I mean, anti fascism has has been part of you know liberal culture since the 1930s. But there is no organized Antifa. I mean, there aren't like Antifa board meetings. You know, there aren't like Antifa, you know, chat rooms where everybody gets together and plots how they're going to riot. It's, it's much looser, much more nebulous than that. Uh, you know, there's very little structure to it. But it makes a very convenient um, talking point on places like Fox News. And then you tie it into this whole stuff, all the stuff about critical race theory that's just starting to bubble up and it, it gets tied into the pandemic and it it very quickly becomes kind of another bigger conspiracy theory of everything. Right. So so um do you think are there people who are in something called Antifa but it's just been exaggerated or is it completely also a myth or what's what's the story there? Because you would see like this guy Andy Nago, I don't know what his story is, but he'd get like beaten up and and he'd show the scars. He'd get beaten up by Antifa according to him. Like what was well, the story there? I mean, yeah, he's he's an agitator. I mean, he's you know, he's a very, you know, this this is a guy who's bad news. But generally speaking, there are Antifa organizations, but they're very small. They're not like organized people marching with flags and masks and machine guns. They're not ISIS. You know, th- this is a real thing, but it's been massively over-exaggerated by the uh, right-wing infotainment complex. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. So, so right. So, so what was, what was any, like who was beating him up this, uh, Andy Nago? 
you know, I don't, I don't know a ton about the guy. I don't, I don't follow his work super closely, but I know that he's, um, he's a person who he doxes people. Um, and it very often doxes the wrong people. Like he'll, he'll yeah. point out somebody who like committed some act of vandalism at a protest and he'll like, he'll tweet out his name, you know, tweet out this person's name and it's not the right guy. And, and that happens actually quite a bit in a lot of uh, far right movements is the wrong people get doxed. I mean, we saw mm-hmm. that going on all the way back to the Boston Marathon bombing when the, the wrong people were, were uh, you know, had the bombing pinned on them by amateur investigators on Reddit. Um, that's actually how QAnon got banned from Reddit. Um, they, they doxed the wrong guy who they thought was responsible for a mass shooting. And Reddit basically said, no, you're done. We don't want you anymore. And of wow. all of the platforms where QAnon took off just completely unchecked, you know, Facebook, Twitter, not on Reddit because Reddit banned them. But that, that's a very common thing in, in the far right is, is sort of revealing the personal information of the wrong people and then you go, well, you know, it's for a good cause, so who cares? Right. So, so it's interesting. So what got you involved in this? Like what – why did you write about this? Why do you write about sure. conspiracy theories? Because I've seen you sure. writing some other stuff about conspiracies. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I was always interested in conspiracy theories as storytelling and for the kind of the, the worlds that they broke open. And, and I, got, I got really into the Art Bell radio show in college. So I would listen to Art Bell, you know, the Coast to Coast AM show, and he would have on like conspiracy experts and like pseudo historians. And he'd be talking about like crop circles and UFOs and cattle mutilations and and very X-Files kind of stuff. And I, you know, I never believed any of it, but there was one particular thing that took off in, I guess I'm dating myself here, but in December of 98 and uh, Art Bell had on this guy who was this really big proponent of like the face on Mars conspiracy theory. And this dude was on every night on Art Bell claiming that there was going to be an alien landing in like rural Arizona based on some British astronomer's data that had gotten leaked on the internet. The whole thing was a hoax, but Bell was so committed to it. I, I, don't, I don't think he believed it. I think he was a pretty smart guy. But it was such a good story and it was so deftly told that I was like, this is amazing how this is, how this is turning like nothing. There's not going to be a UFO landing, but you're convincing people that there's going to be one. And it's just brilliant storytelling. And, you know, I kind of drifted away from conspiracy stuff after college and I moved out to LA. I tried to get into screenwriting and I had a lot of near misses and projects that we're going to go. And then they didn't go. And I started getting really frustrated with that world. And I, I started to write for the blog of a uh, critical thinking podcast called Skeptoid, uh, which is still on today. And I started to find an audience for it. And I, I would, you know, write about conspiracy theories and urban legends and stuff. And it was a fun way of, of continuing to write until I kind of figured out the next thing I wanted to do. And the, the moment where I realized that I could actually do this as a career was I'd probably been doing it for about a year. And then one of the posts that I wrote was about this really pseudoscience thing called oil pulling, where you take olive oil or palm oil or coconut oil and you swish it around in your mouth and you spit it out. And it's supposed to rid you of toxins. I mean, BS, obviously. But oil pulling was then featured on the Dr. Oz show. And my this blog post I wrote on oil pulling got like 150,000 views. 
And I mean, I'd never written anything for any medium that got anywhere close to that. I was like, oh my gosh, people are looking for this kind of information. Maybe I could do this. And I got some freelance writing gigs out of it, and that turned into a couple of staff journalism jobs. Um, a publisher then approached me about writing a book about conspiracy theories. I'd gotten a literary manager by then. Um, through that book, I was able to get a literary agent and pitched the QAnon book because I'd started following Q in beginning of 2018. Nobody, nobody was interested. Nobody cared. And then the pandemic hit, and suddenly all this Q stuff was going around in these you know, pandemic conspiracy theories. And I said to my agent, I think we should take this out again. And then there was a lot of interest, and you know, here we are. Wow. So, so, okay. Let, uh, let me ask you, like, if you personally wanted to start a conspiracy, what would you, what would you do now that you've studied so many conspiracy theories? What would, what would, and let's say just as an experiment, you're not doing anything evil and you'll announce it's a conspiracy at the end, but what would you do to start a conspiracy? You know, I, I've often thought that I could probably, um, make a much more lucrative career out of um, pushing conspiracy theories than debunking them. But I would yeah, say- you'd get like a million followers. Cho- like, sure. Oh, I mean, yeah. I wouldn't be able to sleep at night, but who, yeah. who would care? You know, um, what I would probably do is seize on something going on in the news and sort of filter that through a lens of stuff that I knew the conspiracy theory community would be interested in. So you take something real- add in a bunch of fake elements to it, but you make the fake elements about people who are important in that community. So the the Clintons, George Soros, Obama, the election, whatever. And the most important thing is to just do it relentlessly. You know, the, the people who, who, are, who have made careers out of pushing conspiracy theories, the big QAnon promoters, the, you know, the wellness conspiracy promoters, you know, and there's a ton of these people. They put out an enormous amount of content. It's like every day is a live stream. Every day is a, a podcast. Every day is uh, a video. And, and they build up trust among people who are looking for someone to trust. Of course, they're lying, but they don't care. And the people who are trusting them don't care. It's just all about telling that story that they want to be true. So if I could find a story that I thought could resonate in that world, I would push that story relentlessly. I'd make up jargon about it. I would claim to be an insider. I'd claim I have sources and I would just do it a lot. And I could probably be pretty successful at it. Yeah, no, it's true. But you'd have, in that case, you couldn't be anonymous. Like you'd have to be putting out content, like you say, every day. Right. What if you wanted to just like see, plant the seeds in some message board that could turn into a viral conspiracy? What would you do? And like oh, how yeah. would you I mean, construct the, it? You can, you can do that on uh, places like Telegram. And in fact, this is actually happening right now in the QAnon world, you know, because QAnon got kicked off all the big platforms after January 6th. So they've kind of reconstituted themselves on this secure messaging app, Telegram. And there's yeah. a QAnon influencer who goes by the term Ghost Ezra. Nobody knows who this person is, you know, whether they're male or female, who they are. But this is a person who out of nothing has built up something like 350,000 followers on Telegram by posting all day and all night this gigantic anti-Semitic conspiracy theory that's partially QAnon, but much more blatantly hateful than even QAnon, and QAnon can be pretty hateful. So 
like you can do that. You can be completely anonymous. You can go to a place where these people congregate. And if you just keep posting enough and maybe you get picked up by a couple of the big influencers in that community, you could do anything. You could create anything. There was something going on that was a little bit like that. Uh, it was called Sabmec. It happened um, like beginning of this year. It was this very complicated, like prophetic conspiracy cult thing. It's way too complicated to explain and it doesn't matter. But it was this guy who created this out of nothing. And people were starting to get really concerned about it because he had immediately built up like 200,000 followers on Telegram and was creating all kinds of art about it and these prophecies. And it turned out to be this, uh, this German outsider artist who created this as a prank just to see if he could get a big following by saying really outrageous stuff. And he did. So if you want to do that, that is not that hard to do. And that's terrifying. Did he, did he take it back at the end? Did he say, oh, don't pay attention to this? He admitted that it was him, but it's still kind of going. I've, I follow some of the Telegram channels about it. Like this guy built up Telegram, you know, dozens of Telegram channels with tens of thousands of subscribers almost overnight. I mean, it was really, it was really an example of how you could say just any meaningless gibberish. And I, I, I was looking into it and I thought this is way too esoteric to take off. This is, this is way like, too complicated. Like what was he saying? Just like, like there would be a, 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 a I'm trying to remember some of it. Like you would be able to identify the Messiah based on the pattern of scars on his arm and, and they were descended from angels and there was all of this really, really esoteric occult kind of stuff with it. It wasn't so much political, but it was done in a fashion that was like very easy to share, but you didn't really need to understand it because it was incomprehensible. And this guy was revealed and he was like, yeah, I did it. And, and these channels are still going a little bit, but there's, there's very little activity in it now. It just sort of burned out because nobody wants to feel like they're being pranked by some random German guy. But it was an example of how social media and, and the inherent uh, conspiracy theory, you know, you know the, our, our inherent need for conspiracy theories can be weaponized very easily. Wow, that's scary. I mean, yeah, and particularly now when people have been locked up, like people really are social animals. They need they need co- human contact. And when you lock the whole world down for a year for for maybe the correct reasons, maybe not. I, I who knows? But uh, uh, it's just sad what what happens. Yeah, yeah. Well, it is. it's in, it's extremely sad. And and well well Mike, uh, your people should read your book to see the the true story of this cult uh, or this belief system, QAnon, yeah. how it started, how it evolved, wh- what sort of people it sucked in, the, the sort of damage it caused. I mean, it really affected the whole country. The belief in this, like it it, yeah. it caused damage and it it caused the whole country in some way to lose their faith in the political system, both on the left and the right. Because like you say, it sort of started in places that nobody would look, like this 8chan or 8kun website. But then it gets into Infowars and it gets into Breitbart, then it gets to OAN. And somebody suddenly people say, well, it's on TV and OAN is just like Fox. So then it gets on Fox and then Trump's retweeting it. And you see how these things could just, because reporters at the top, I will say this, reporters at the top no longer do their jobs on the whole, not everybody, but on the whole, they just wait for press releases or what their bosses tell them to say. And they, 
delete everything else. They're just looking at, they're just reporting on what people the next layer lower are reporting on. And that ruins the whole, like journalism is just as bad as 4chan in some cases. So yeah. And we weren't looking in our communities for this. Yeah. So, so the book is called the storm is upon us, how QAnon became a movement cult and conspiracy theory of everything. And Mike, I'll say you tell a lot of great stories in the book, not only about the origins of QAnon and, and what was happening and kind of the history of this conspiracy theory, but also the people, you know, many stories with the people directly involved for better or for worse. And uh, you should write fiction or a screenplay or something like that. <laughs> this is all the makings of, you You even have a chapter called The Gospel of Q. I yeah. love that as a title of a movie or, or a book. <laughs> so you, you should do that. Uh, the title is just speaks for itself. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, and ultimately it's about the people, you know, it's not about the lurid stuff. It's not about the sort of technical aspects of it. It's about the people. And that's where I, I really try to focus all of my work is just the people who this has affected. And it's a lot of people. Yeah. And, um, by the way, uh, you just got your first review. I don't know if you saw it yet. You got a nice five-star review. The book came out today and, uh, Here's the review. It's five stars. In this dangerous time, works like this are important, if not crucial, in order to maintain yourself well-informed. QAnon has grown to become more than a joke. It is a dangerous cult that has managed to become even more destructive than the satanic panic of the 80s. Please do yourself a favor and give this book a read. That's the first review by Hector Quintanilla. Good luck with this book. It's trending well on Amazon. It's number one for religious cults. It's off to a good start. Yeah, no, and uh, that's a great place to to end with a five-star review. (laughs) It's hard not to add a side of hot, crispy hash browns to your favorite McDonald's breakfast. It's even harder not to eat said hash browns before you get home. Bada ba ba ba